And so we're going to be turning now uh, to God's word, uh, knowing that he provides for all of our needs as we come to look at the book, at his word, the Bible. So we're going to ask God to uh, equip us, encourage us, and empower us. Um, we have four things that we're going to be walking through today. Uh, you'll see them on the screen behind me. Uh, we're, we're in Matthew chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 16, which is something that we started uh, yesterday. Is it up there? No. Hey, can we go ahead and get those points up there? Boom. There, there you go. Now, if you're a writer, you can write those down while I'm talking. Um, so we started last week, kind of part one of this interaction between uh, Jesus and this rich young man. And today we're finishing kind of part two of it. And so some of what we're going to be doing is going back and re-looking at some of the verses that we saw last week. Uh, because if you ever walked into a joke or a really good movie or, or, or something like that, and you're like the middle or the end and you miss the beauty of it, I don't want you to miss the beauty of what we're seeing today. So we're going to back up a little bit and walk back through it. And as we do, we're going to see how to follow Jesus and have eternal life, his warning about earthly riches, the disciples' response and Jesus' encouragement, and then a story, truths about God, and a response. So uh, if you have a Bible or a phone app uh, or Google, uh, you, can, you can look with us. We're going to be in, in Matthew, uh, which is the first book of the New Testament. It's all about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to start in verse 16, and, and we're going to read all the way to chapter 20, verse 16. So here we go. You ready? Yes, good. I'm glad some of you are awake this morning. Praise God. All right, here we go. And behold, a man came up to him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? It's a great question. And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished saying, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, a, denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. 
Going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever's right, I will give you. So they went and going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the 11th hour, late into the day, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you too, or you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last all the way up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those who were hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last only worked one hour and you made them equal to us. You made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. This is the word, Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's pray and then we will dive back into that and make a bit of sense of it. All right? Beautiful. Let's pray. So Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear today and minds that comprehend and hearts that are soft. Not like the rich young man who, who heard your word come and chose his stuff instead of you. But I, I pray that you would make us like the disciples, that we would come to value you more than anything else. And God, we know that we need your help if we are to walk away with any encouragement and hope today. And so, God, the Spirit, we pray that you would help us make much of Jesus during our time together. Amen. Amen. Well, a common thing in the Boswell household is we have a two and a half and a four and a half year old in tow. The boys will be playing in their room. Maybe this has happened to you. And all of a sudden, screaming, blood curdling screaming. That's mine. No, it's mine. No, I got it for Christmas. No, it's from my birthday. Screaming, right? Yelling at one another. We don't know who took what from whom. We walk in as parents, right? You have that deciphering thing of who's lying, right? One of them, maybe both of them, but definitely one of them. We don't know what's going on. You try to decipher everything that's going on. And, and one of the things that we usually tell them over and over and over again is, Okay, so first things first, none of these toys are yours. This is not your toy. This toy belongs to Jesus. This is Jesus's toys. So there's no, this is mine, that's mine, right? That, that, all of that stuff. We're like, no, 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 that's not, that's not how this works in our home. And so uh, this is almost a daily thing. And even when they're not fighting sometimes, I just like to remind them of that, right? As they're playing with toys, I, I'll, I'll look at them. In fact, this past Friday, we were, we were playing and uh, just having a great time, me and my boys. And uh, I, I looked at Owen, my oldest, my four and a half year old. I said, hey, buddy, uh, our toys, who, who do those belong to? He said, Jesus. And I said, that's right. They belong to Jesus. What does Jesus love when, what, like, what do we do with Jesus' toys? What, what, what makes him happy? And he said, Jesus loves it when we share our toys. 
I said, that's right, he does. He loves it. And Owen, what did God share with us? His toys. That's right, that's right. God gave us our toys, so you have it and you share it with your brother and with whoever else comes to our home. That's right, that's, that's right. I said, what, what else, what else did, did God give us? And he said, well, Jesus died for us. I said, that's right. And I said, actually, buddy, that's why we share is, is because we first see that in Jesus, that Jesus, God, came, shared his life with us, died the death that we deserve to die, rose from the dead. And he gives us all of these things. And he says, model how I lived. I shared everything. You share everything, right? And he says, right, daddy. I'm like, right, that's why we love to share. And then studying the text that we read this past week, the rich young ruler, right, where, where he says, uh, give everything away and I'll give you more in heaven. I had that in my mind this week. And as a dad, when you're teaching your kids about Jesus and the Bible, sometimes you just like to see where their little hearts are. Right, so, so having that fresh on my mind, I'm like, all right, so, right, this is my pushing into new territory. I said, hey man, so, so, so what, if, what about this? What if, what if God asked you to give up your toys to people who are poor, who don't have any toys, but he said, God said, there is a day coming when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom here on the earth and you are going to have the best toys Ever. Like amazing toys, the greatest toys of all time. So give up these kind of toys here for the poor. And Jesus says, I'll give you better toys later. What do you think of that? Right? As a dad, I'm trying to build that up. Guess what Jesus does in our text? Build up this. Don't focus here, focus there. And I did that. I was like, what do you think about that? And he said, no. <laughs> no. He, this literally direct quote. I don't like that very much. That doesn't sound very nice. I love it. Uh, and, that's a, and that's the point, right? That's the point of everything that we see in this today. If you just summarize that, that's what we see. Is we see that some, when they hear the promise of Jesus, they walk away. They say, no, I don't like that. And some, like the disciples, they choose Jesus and they choose his treasures. And then I think thirdly, some of us are trying to learn to follow Jesus that way. And that's, I, I, I don't usually name sermons. I don't know why. That's not a thing that I do, but I did this one. This is the first time. So here it is. The title of this sermon is, What Then Will We Have? Jesus and Treasure. Because through our story today, what we see is we see Jesus offer to the rich man and the disciples and to us the same call. Go sell what you have, give to the poor as evidence that we have come to know his amazing love for us and look forward to the day when he comes to set up his kingdom because when that day happens, there will be treasures like you will never imagine. And so to get there this morning, we're gonna turn and, and look at the first thing I wanted to highlight from this text. One, how to follow Jesus and have eternal life. That's the question that starts this. How do we have eternal life? And that's a great question. It's, and Jesus basically responds by saying, if you would have eternal life, keep the commandments. And the man says, which ones? And Jesus lists a few of them, right? Don't, uh, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, which all mothers on Mother's Day rejoice, right? You have a verse. Hey, if you wanna have eternal life, you have to honor me. Use it sparingly. Uh, there it is. Uh, and Jesus then gives a shorthand version of, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is a way to quantify everything that he has said. All of these things, don't do this, don't do this. 
love your neighbor as yourself, right? Because if you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't steal from them. You will not kill them because you'd be killing yourself. Uh, you, you will not be uh, bearing false witness against them. You will honor them because that's how you treat yourself, right? And this is a weighty list and these are not easy, but the young man, the rich man, when he hears this, he responds by saying, yes, I've, I've kept all of these. What do I lack? And it wasn't until last night, a week of studying this text, that that question just hit me in a really different way. What do I still lack? I didn't notice it, but it got more interesting. This rich young man has kept the law flawlessly. All of God's commandments. But he knows if he wants to have eternal life, he still lacks something. Do you see that? What's the law? I've done it. But what do I lack? There's this nagging in his heart that he's lacking something. And that might be you today. That might be why you're here. Your mom also might have dragged you here. That's why you're here. Uh, you, you also might be here because you're actually considering Jesus. You have been a good, moral, maybe a religious person, but something is nagging at you. What do I lack? I feel like I'm lacking something. Anyone that looks at my life would say I'm good, I'm moral, I'm whatever. I feel something lacking. That's why we're all here, really. That's what began this search for all of us in our, in our hearts. And, and Jesus looks at the man and says, if you would be perfect, if you would be perfect, which is the same word that actually Jesus, we've heard this before in Matthew chapter five, verse 48, Jesus tells his disciples that they must be perfect as the heavenly father is perfect, as God is perfect, so they must be perfect. So if this guy, this rich young guy, if he would be perfect like God, he should go sell what he possesses and give it all away and follow Jesus. And then he will have eternal life sell everything, give it all away. But not just anybody, but to people specifically who cannot pay him back, give it to the poor. So this young man wants to be perfect, to have eternal life, to be perfect as God is perfect. He must do this, sell it all, give it away. And there's two important things I want us to see from this interaction. Firstly, is that Jesus models what he demands for this rich young man. He doesn't ask the rich young man to do something that he himself is not doing, is not already done. Don't you hate that? When your boss or, remember when you were a kid, your parent would ask you to do something, but they haven't done it. Or your boss does that or your coach does that. And you're like, coach, you could not run those wind sprints, right? Or boss, there's no way you could do what I can do on my computer. So, right? And Jesus is not like that. He does not call us to do something that he himself has not done firstly. See, Jesus looks at this rich young man who thinks he has all the riches in the world and he says, follow me. He models what he demands. He doesn't ask him to do something he's not done because Jesus, friends, has left the riches of heaven and he has stepped into this world. So he understands what it means to leave the riches of all things and to serve the poor. We read about this in a couple of places. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Again, we read in Philippians 2, 5 to 11, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped onto. No, he emptied himself. How? How did he empty himself? 
by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus demands this rich young man, follow my example. If you would have eternal life, rich young man, follow me, follow my example, follow, follow my teaching. And secondly, we need to say, this is something that Jesus demands of us today as well. This is not Jesus' call just to this rich man only. No, friends, if you and I would have eternal life as well, this is what he demands of us too. If you would be perfect, if you would have eternal life, then go and imitate Jesus. If he really is your God, Savior, and King, follow him. Hear his words. This is what he demands. Believe that he is who he says he is, that he is God with us, who came that we might know his radical generosity, demonstrated as he stood condemned in our place, facing the wrath that we deserved, paying our debt, paying it in full. He who was rich came for us, the poor. We're to follow Jesus and give our lives to us for, for that. This is what Jesus demands of us if we would have eternal life and treasures in heaven. He calls us to come to have treasures in heaven. Isn't that beautiful how he ties together? I don't know if you've thought about this. He ties together uh, eternal life and treasures in heaven. The rich young man doesn't do that. Jesus ties these things together, eternal life and treasures in heaven. But it's not the first time that he's done so in the book of Matthew. If you remember from Matthew chapter six, verses 19 to 21, I don't have it on the screen, but you can write it down. Matthew chapter six, verses 19 and 21. You'll know it when you hear it if you've been around a while, but it's this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So can I ask you a question I've asked myself a lot this week? I mean, a lot Where is your treasure? Here now or then and there? Where, where is your heart? Where, where are you laying up treasures? Because if Jesus' words are true, then there are treasures to be had. That's not even a question from tech. There, there are treasures to be had. So are we as passionate about attaining these treasures as we are treasures here? And if not, why? Man, I've asked myself that a lot this week. I know there, there, there's probably at least some pushback coming from some of your minds as we're thinking and processing through these texts. We don't have time to think through them all, but a huge one I've often heard is this. Yeah, okay, I get it, whatever. But, but aren't we just supposed to want Jesus for Jesus's sake? 
and not come to Jesus for what he promises to give us? Isn't Jesus enough? Why all this talk about treasure in heaven as a motivating factor for following Jesus? I just want Jesus, not what he gives us. So I don't understand your whole thing, man. Treasure's there. I don't care. I just want Jesus. Take the world. Give me Jesus. But what I contend to you and what Jesus would contend to you is that this is not a Christian viewpoint at all, but rather a worldly one for at least two reasons. Firstly, Firstly, the only reason that we come to Jesus in the first place is because he lived the life we should have lived, died the death we deserve to die, rose from the dead, and his name is the only name given under heaven by which we can be saved. We come to him for what he gives us, salvation. If he can't give us salvation in a right relationship with God, why are we coming to him? We don't come to him for just who he is, but what he gives to us. And if he's promised to give us eternal life, if we follow him, why do we look at him and say, no, I don't want that. I just want you. Because no, 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 these, these things are tied. So we, we come to Jesus to receive, not just a friendship, but to receive mercy, pardon, forgiveness, innocence. All these are gifted to us. These are the call of Jesus. Come and receive. You who have no money, come and drink and eat. It's free, come. This is the, always the call of Jesus. And a lot of spare, come to me. I, I can sustain all that you need. I can restore you to a right relationship with the Father. Come. And isn't that why we come? I mean, if salvation can be had somewhere else, then friends, we are desperately wasting our time. Oh, but it can't be found anywhere else. And secondly, it is Jesus himself who calls us to come for these great treasures. It's Jesus himself who says, no, no, come. Give everything away for greater treasures. So if we look at him and say, no, it's okay, I'm all right. And he's saying, no, I'm pleading with you. Come, store up treasures there with all of your life. And we say, no, I, I'm okay. He's saying, no, do it. Come, there are treasures to be had. Leverage everything that you have. This, friends, will make you want to sell that condo. Get rid of that boat. It will make you want to live a crazy life. It will make you want to make millions and give them away. Can you imagine what a life like that on the North Shore would tell people about what you value and where your treasure is? That's the kind of life that people would look at and say, Bro, I don't understand you. Tell me about this hope that you have in Jesus. Because all I hear around me is the bigger house, the nicer clothes, the better purses, the greater vacations. But man, what you're saying, man, there's something about that, man. So when Jesus says this, come and follow me, he, he means it. And yet the rich young man heard the words of Jesus and he walked away. Why? He loved the things here too much. The deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world choked out the seed of the good news of Jesus. And he walked away sorrowful. 
And then Jesus gives this warning about earthly riches, chapter 19, verse 23 to 24. And there's something that in this that reminds me of Philippians chapter three, verses eight and nine, a text that I've been memorizing this week for a men's Bible study I'm in. And it says this, it says, for his sake, Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them. I count what I've lost, but I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes where? Through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. And the more that I meditated on the rich young man and the warning of Jesus in this passage of Philippians, the more it just became clear. The rich man is doing the opposite of the guy that wrote this. He's doing the complete opposite. While Paul, the guy that wrote this, he, he suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish that he might gain Christ and be found in him. The rich young man chose to not suffer the loss of anything and rather chose his things over Jesus. While Paul chose a righteousness that comes through Jesus, Jesus is right living in his place as his only hope. The, righteous, or the, the young rich man chose righteousness of his own and his own ability to do all of the works of the law. And he walked away. And I see something of the tension even within myself as I read this text. I want to be like Paul. I want to follow the example and the commands of Jesus. But, but I feel a pull like the rich young man. Right? I, I see this. I see, the, I see the promises. I see give it up here, give there. But I feel this pull in my heart. This, this love of things here. I too quickly rely upon treasures of this earth and I get too easily fixated upon them and it's hard for me to imagine a future treasure. I'm like my son. I would rather have my toys here and now rather than give them up because I can't comprehend the generosity of a God who says, I have more for you. I often live my life as if this is all that there is. But I bet you struggle just like I do. So what hope do we have? Well, let's turn our attention, our next point, the disciples' response and Jesus' encouragement. They respond then, well, then who can be saved? They understand this immense call of Jesus, this huge demand, go and do all of this. And they look at that and they're like, well, who then can be saved? That's a great question. That's so beautiful after that. That's, that's an appropriate response. But Jesus looks at them and get this, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Oh, and I love that. And that's the point. It, it calls us to remember the good news of Jesus for our weary souls as we remember it. If the call to Jesus is to live like this, to have passions like this, to desire a future kingdom instead of this one, who can be saved? None of us. And that's the point. See, the hope for people like us is this. Jesus alone is the one who can give us these desires to leverage everything for his kingdom and not ours. As the spirit works this out in our hearts and changes our desires over time. 
See, Jesus alone can give us joy in considering how we can give everything away to those who can never repay us. As we consider how Jesus did this for us and so greatly moved by that as we study his word and grow to love his world and his kingdom more than this one. And most importantly, Jesus alone can save us. See, the rich young man was right. Fulfilling the law cannot save you. But fulfilling the law, living generously, that can never save you either. See, it's not until you come and follow Jesus that you can truly be, be saved. And then your whole life is to be an outpouring, a reminder of that, filling up the afflictions of Christ for those around us and giving generously because our God has been generous towards us. That's what our lives are to be about. And then in verse 27, Peter looks at Jesus and says, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And do you notice what Jesus doesn't do? Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't look at him and say, I'm all that you need, Peter. You don't need treasures. Nope. No, he, he looks at him and he says, he says, when I will come and sit on my glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones. There is a promise to be had. There is a treasure to be had. There is a kingdom to rule in. And I'm calling you into that. And then Jesus makes this statement that's just as good for the 12 as it is for us who've left to follow him. And I'm so glad Matthew recorded to it. Verse, verse 29, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Test him on this and see if this is not true for you. It's something that I've experienced as I'm sure many of you had. Over the last eight years, I've had the great joy of moving a couple of times across this great nation and planting churches and working with church planters as we're faithful to follow God's call on his life to, to lay down our blank check before God and say, fill it in. He has been faithful to provide for all of our needs in astounding ways. I mean, financial provision that if I tried to explain it to you and showed you our checking account, you'd say, that doesn't make sense. And I say, I know, this doesn't make sense. But not only that, but Christian brothers and sisters who have become like biological brothers and sisters, as we live far, far away from family. Men and women who have become like aunties and uncles to our kids because our aunties and uncles are far away. And spiritual moms, beautiful, godly, wonderful women who have given so freely and generously of their love and their time to us when we most needed a mom and our moms are far, far away. And spiritual dads who've counseled us and loved us well. God has provided for us as he promised here. So take heart, we cannot outgive God. There's nothing that we can give to him in his kingdom that he will not give back a hundredfold, including laying down our lives for his kingdom and including when we send our children out to share the gospel among the unreached peoples and they lose their lives for the sake of Jesus. We will lose nothing that we will not receive back a hundredfold over in his kingdom when he sets it up here upon the earth. It won't look that way in your bank accounts for most of us, but when he comes and sets up his kingdom, 
It'll be known then where your true treasure was found. Oh, and I want to encourage you in that. And then for those of you who live near your families, you're like, well, I don't, I don't live far away from my family, so I can't live like that, man. So how can I live that out? Like my parents live down the road. So I, I have, so how am I? Am I supposed to move to Winnipeg and plant a church with you and then I'm far away from family and then God can provide? Maybe. Maybe. And I was thinking about that this past week because although Samantha and I have lived far away from family for the last couple of years, we're moving to a place where we have a lot of biological family. And yet we've realized something. A lot of it has actually come as a result of this book, which if you have not read, you should. It's commendable. Uh, the Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. It's helped us think through what does it mean to live near biological family and yet still striving in a way that answers this call. And so some things that we've talked through uh, briefly is things like this, like examples that we've talked about. On Canada Day, uh, my wife's family is always together at the, her grandfather's cabin at the lake. So we'll probably spend half of Canada Day there and then half of Canada Day serving our neighborhood, welcoming in those who are immigrants or poor, those who don't have biological family nearby. So whereas all of our family is at the lake all day long, we, we will be there probably half the day doing that, but half of the day loving our, our brothers and sisters and the widows and the orphans and the immigrants that we know. So, so, so doing that as a way to, to spend our lives and opening up our homes. Birthdays won't be family-only events where other people are excluded, but rather our home and our parties are open doors to those in our church and neighborhood who are hurting, needing family and community. Our dinner table is gonna be open to widows and single parents and immigrants who are desperately needy to have people be their family like others have been for us over the last six years because we know what it's like to need people. We know what it's like to have Christmases alone, birthdays and anniversaries alone, far from family. And we don't want people to have that, to experience that. And what a joy as we will get to be the answer of this promise for other people. We will be the answer of Jesus' promise to others as we have an opportunity to model what we see Jesus calling us to do and as we boldly proclaim the gospel to them. And then Jesus tells us uh, at the end of this uh, chapter, uh, verse 30, many who are first will be last and last first. And the story that comes after actually is a parable that highlights everything we've been talking about today. And so what I thought I would do actually uh, for chapter 20 verses one to 16 is to actually leave them with you this week during community group to pray and talk through how does this get fleshed out with, with us as, as a community. And so I'm, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna leave that with you. Uh, look, at, look at this story. It's tied together, verse 30. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. And then chapter 20, verse 16. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. So all of Jesus's teaching so far is just demonstrated in a little word picture, a little, a little story. And so we're gonna leave that story with you to chat about in community group. So let's pray and then we'll move into a time of response. So Father, we thank you for your grace extended to us. We pray that you would give us a heart that desires your kingdom, we pray that we would help, oh man, I pray that we would love you more, that we would have a growing desire and affection for, for that coming kingdom, for those treasures that are to be had. We pray that we would see your word and, 
and that we would so leverage all of our lives that we would generously think through how we're, we're sharing our, our finances and our homes and our dinner tables and our vacations and just everything, how, how we're sacrificing and selling things to, to meet the, the needs of others, specifically the poor. We're thankful that you modeled that for us, that you came after us who were poor, that you laid the riches of heaven aside and entered into this world, taking on flesh, stepping into time. And you loved us. You became poor that we might become rich. And so I pray that we would become poor that others might become rich as well. Oh God, give us the courage to believe your promises because everything around us beckons us to find our value and our purpose here in this world and you are beckoning us and calling us to live for greater treasure than we could ever imagine. Please give us your spirit to comfort us and to encourage us to really leverage our lives for, for you, our bank accounts for you, our homes for you, everything for you. Help us, we pray we need you. We ask this in Christ's great name.